Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Woohoo! Welcome to Sex and Science Hour. We're so glad you joined us tonight. Yes, we are very glad. <laughs> Brian is cautiously glad because we had a little bit of a false start just a minute ago. We had some technical issues, but we're back on track. So anyway, they don't need to know about that. That's right. It's Friday night. Happy Friday. Hope you all had a great week. Sex and Science Hour comes out every Friday night. And uh, today we're going to start out with an article that I think everybody will be interested in because it's about sex robots. And it seems to be the topic that's on everyone's mind. A recent study, according to uh, Tufts University, found that women and men had drastically different opinions about the appropriateness of sex robots in a variety of real life situations. You don't say... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not like that women surprised, but I I mean, well, I'll read you the article and then I'll I'll hold my thoughts for after this. This okay. is of course from uh, Vice by Stephen Bloom. Uh, according to a recent study conducted by researchers at Tufts University, women just aren't into the idea of fucking a robot. About two thirds of women polled by the university said they would not shag a droid. In comparison, <laughs> two thirds of men said that they would. Conducted by researchers Matthias Schutz and Thomas Arnold, the modest 103-person poll... Oh, all right. Just stop right there. 100 people? That's... That so out of 100 people, 33 women said, yeah, I'd fuck a robot, and 66 men said they would fuck a robot. Or maybe mm-hmm. even less than that, because if it's half women and half men, then it's only 50 of each. It's a pretty small sample yeah, size, i got to say. Yeah, that's way too small. Well, but, anyway... You know, I always think, okay, so I've basically I've dismissed this study, but it might still be entertaining to read the article. Yeah, of course. Um, (laughs) I don't think it's big enough to draw any conclusions. But um, I always say when people are asked about sex robots or when they're talking about sex robots and women say, oh, yeah, no, no, I'm not into sex robots. Think outside the box a little bit. Yeah, maybe you're not into the idea of fucking a blow up doll kind of like thing. But I mean, pretty much every woman does fuck a robot. And that's Vibrators. (laughs) Vibrators. <laughs> the Hitachi Magic It's a wand. very simple sex robot. <laughs> In fact, I lost, I like to say I lost my virginity to a sex robot. I get, got my first orgasm from a sex robot. Hell yeah. Okay. So I'm very pro robots. Um, <laughs> now, I, I don't need one that looks like a life size man right. um, or a life size woman. Um, I really don't need that. All I need is a little motor and I'm good to go. <laughs> so maybe that's the hang up there. They don't want a robot that looks like a human being. Yeah. Should we read on to figure out? Yeah, let's read on. I want to hear more. 
Um, Perhaps because the controversy over erotic automatons is so murky and theoretical, the researchers sought to understand their usage in specific hypothetical scenarios. Subjects were asked whether sex robots would be, quote, appropriate or, quote, socially useful (laughs) to those who were disabled, lonely, on a spaceship, into minotaurs, (laughs) it just gets better, or bereaved. Men were generally more chill about all of these scenarios than women were, but there were some points of agreement. Both men and women agreed that sex robots shouldn't be made in the likeness of children and that they were appropriate to use and that they were appropriate to use instead of prostitutes. Still, it was weird to me that women weren't more into robot sex than men because, A, Jude Law's character, Gigolo Joe, in AI, is objectively hot, says the author, and (laughs) B, so many women already use vibrators. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Right. For answers, I got in touch with Shelley Ronan, a PhD candidate at New York University who studies sex, intimacy, and technology. We talked about the many ways in which robots can be disturbing and also why they might not end up being a big deal at all. So uh, now they're interviewing this uh, sex researcher. Let's talk about the recent survey that found that women were less comfortable with the idea of sex robots than men. Assuming that conclusion holds true in a larger, more comprehensive survey, do you have any theories as to why that could be? Shelley Ronan said, There could be a few reasons. Assuming this survey is really able to capture respondents' desires, then the first possibility is that women hold a more emotional notion of meaningful sex, one that values connection with another person more highly than men do. Certainly, this is in line with the traditional gendered double standard that holds women to a different standard in pursuing sexual behavior. Men are not just free to engage in meaningless sex. They're also encouraged to do so in a way that's not the case for women. Women are more likely to suffer reputation consequences for doing the same thing. So perhaps women are responding to that social pressure, knowing that sex with an object, which is a form of meaningless sex, would be harshly perceived. Perhaps they've internalized the double standard and actually experienced desire for more, quote, meaningful sex, sex that involves an emotional connection with another person. Another related option is that men more than women see the sexual appeal of dominating their sexual partner. Maybe they're aroused by the idea of sex with a literally objectified sexual partner. This would be in line with the feminist critiques of heterosexual desire, oh boy, as as rigidly locking men and women into gendered roles of patriarchal oppressor and subjugated sex victim. But I doubt that all heterosexual desire is really that simple. And the fact that some women, albeit fewer than the proportion of men, do say that they would have sex with sex robots means that there's more overlap between desire among, quote, opposite genders than we might have once thought. Additionally, men are encouraged to evaluate their masculinity in terms of sexual voraciousness, while women are not. So it might be that the men are enacting a kind of identity work, basically doing the socially desirable thing by saying yes to sex. So they're experiencing social pressure, too, in the opposite direction. Sure. Meanwhile, women are performing their own kind of gender congruent behavior by erring on the side of saying no to sex. I really like that analysis. I think she's onto something. Yeah, I think there's something there. Um, I mean, so she's I, saying everybody's kind of conforming to the gender roles that they're pressured into by society. Right. Yeah. And I think there's a big part, too. Like when you say sex robots, like, all right, what does that mean? Like, are we talking about Blade Runner style replicants where they look pretty much human? Yeah. You know, are we talking? I think that's what I think that's what everybody assumes. Yeah. They're they're kind of human like. Yeah. And like if if you have a hard time telling whether or not they're human, Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's like that, I have a hard time believing that somebody would say no, because they're designed to be pretty much human you know oh right if they fool you into thinking they're a human right yeah i mean that's almost like uh that's almost like the question of 
not comparing transgender people to robots in any way or anything like that. But it's like there's there are some people who who say, oh, no, no, I would never be attracted to a trans person. Right. Right. But then they might meet a trans person and not know they're trans and be attracted to them. Yeah. Before they find out or if they never find out. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It's an interesting point. I mean, and, you know, I, I say this all the time when sex robots come up, but I think it's true here as well. Like the part that they're not you know testing for or study or you know they're not asking questions for is that what happens when it's a heterosexual relationship Mm -hmm. man and a woman okay or it could be i mean it doesn't even have to be heterosexual you know but it's a couple and they want to get it on with a sex robot i still say that's That's going to be that's going to be the real market robot threesomes exactly that's going to be the real market for for sex robots yeah you're going to have these couples who can safely explore you know these these group sex dreams and everything uh you know without infidelity or anything like that. yeah i think that i agree that's a market they didn't touch on or they a, a potential application for sex robots that they didn't touch on in this article right because then then i think i mean because then you're adding in there there is that ability you know if somebody if say you know women are just looking for that connection and everything right like they're trying to lay out in this yeah um you could get it because there's still one other human in the room Mm -hmm. so yeah i really think people are completely missing where sex robots i think are going to be the big deal uh and and that's in group sex situations not not one-on-one, mm. I don't think, so much. Well, the one-on-one applications are still valid, of course, too, right? Because like sure. some of them were like disabled, lonely, bereaved, you know, yep. d- whatever. Yeah, um, those, those, yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a thing. Yeah. So so what do you think about the emotional thing? I, I don't want to um, apply my own experience to everybody of one gender or another. Mm-hmm. But um, for me... I always find that sex is better when there's an emotional connection. I really love the emotional connection. Yeah. It enhances it so much for me. And it it enhances everything. I mean, I love just having an emotional connection with somebody else without sex, just a friendship or something. Yeah. Well, and this is the thing is that really, and I don't kind of buy the article's premise because I think, I mean, I actually, the idea that, that men, that the men are just like living up to the societal norm mm-hmm. of what men are supposed to be like, you know, you know say yes to sex. And yeah. Everything. Um, like that, that makes a lot more sense than this idea that, well, women want more connection right. and all that stuff because I agree. Right. If that, if there's any truth to that, that like women want the emotional connection and men just want to fuck anything. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think there's at least a big cultural component in that because that's what we're told we're supposed to be like. Right. Right. But the one thing I can say is that the best sex workers in the world, you know, know that they, that like to be really good at what they do or, you know, is to emulate this, the this, girlfriend experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. This notion that, you, well, you've been together forever and, you know, you really understand each other and all mm-hmm. this stuff. I mean, the really, really like, you know, ones that, that are at that high, high level of, of performance, shall we say. Oh yeah. Uh, Some of them just talk to their clients. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, what they get paid for. Yeah, yeah. So I think, and and that's the thing that would show that look, no guys want that connection too because they are buying that experience, you know. And, and so I I think that's you know to say that that's what it's about that's kind of kind of crap. Um, but I'm curious, Stephanie. I mean, you know, would you? Are, are, are you interested in a sex <laughs> um, robot? A I have. <laughs> well, right, with lo- you, lots of with vibrators. vibrators. But like, what about you know something uh, a significantly sex robot more that was that was more human like i yeah. mean honestly i don't think it would excite me very much but okay. i'm also an able-bodied and not bereaved and right. blah blah blah. i don't have any of these special situations going on i have easy access to human partners 
and I can be, get with them and that I have an emotional connection connection with. So I think that would be preferable for me. But I realize not everybody is in that si- same situation as I am. Yeah. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I disparage anybody for choosing to be with a sex robot. No, right. It could get weird, though. Like, speaking of the bereaved, you know, there's that Black Mirror right. episode. Where, yeah, the Be Right Back, where yeah. the person's, this woman, her husband dies. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Black Mirror, it's really good. <laughs> Season three. And we're going to talk about Black Mirror's bees in just a minute here uh-huh. in segment two. But um, there's an episode of Black Mirror where a woman's husband is, dies suddenly, and they're mm-hmm. young. They're like in their 30s or something. Um, she's pregnant with his baby, and he dies in a car accident or something. And um, she orders this this basically robot that t- like combs his Twitter and social media and right. stuff and can talk like him and adapt his mannerisms. Right. And at first it's just, she can just talk to it online. Like she can email it and it'll respond with something that he would say based on what he had said in the past. Yes. Um, but then she upgrades to like an actual thing, like a person an that can walk around. Model. Yeah. yeah it, it's like an Android that can walk around and that connects to the internet and Looks gets exactly the personality like and downloads it. And so, and then she kind of starts falling in love with it, but she realizes it's just not quite the same. Yeah, as the her sex husband. is great, but then the there's sex like is something great, but missing. That's not the sex is great, but that's not like him. He wasn't great at right, sex. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> and, it can... and it's like, well, I didn't. He never posted about his sexuality on Twitter, so I don't know what he would be like in bed. So I'm just going with the default program. Right. And you know, she has a good time. She gets she gets off, but then she's like, wait a minute, this isn't right. This is not my husband. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess, you know, to that answer, would be creepy. And it's, yeah, it makes you think about that same question. Yeah. I mean, myself, you know, would I would I be interested in it? Yeah. But for very specific reasons. Um, and and actually, I think I think the more the area where this might take off a little bit more, you know, outside of the physical, which I think would be more interesting for couples and everything is like VR virtual reality bots. Mm. And you would be wearing clothing that can simulate sensations for you. Mm -hmm. And then you could, you know, you could just buy bots that would, you know, act this sort of stuff out. And then that way you wouldn't have to have a physical model and the cost would be, you know, practically nil. Um, You know, a fantasy I've always had, which I have not had the technology to ever realize up to this point Uh is Having sex with a copy of myself, like a clone of me. Oh, yeah. like it's not just deep. masturbation because I'm not inside that one. She's standing in front of me, and we are having sex, like well, a twin see, of myself. See, that could get interesting. Like yeah. you know, making like another of the guy, and you could kind of live out that Austin Powers, you know, <laughs> Heather Graham, you know, fantasy. Yeah, that's right. Where, where she's two with Austin, a bunch Powers. Of Austin Powers, There's Austin yeah. and Austin ten minutes from now, and. <laughs> You know, anyway, yeah, yeah something no, like that. I think that would be super cool. Well, that, I mean, um, so I would love to do that. But I mean, I guess the technology would have to get to a pretty far point to have a realistic looking physical cl- copy of me. Sure. Maybe in VR that could be accomplished. But I don't know. It seems kind of equally hard. But I think it could be done. Like if you taught it, the, if I taught it the moves, it would have the same moves as me. Yeah. So... <laughs> Well, you see, this this is the thing. This is where, I mean, this is another thing. And, and this is really where sex robots would intrigue me. And, of course, this is going to be a huge legal situation. But it would intrigue me where, like, the, the bots could literally, like, have superhuman abilities. And maybe they could even be, like, superhero characters that I could, you know, get it on with or something. Oh, that'd like, be really cool. Yeah. yeah. Like Wonder Woman or something. Yeah, yeah. But, like, if it's just for run-of-the-mill sex... No, I'll I'll stick with the humans, thank you. 
All right, there you go. Now you know Brian's answer. <laughs> Stick with run of the mill sex with run of the mill humans. Hey, at least Maybe I not so run of the mill. I'm myself. I mean, come on. <laughs> now they all know my deepest, darkest desires. All right, we'll be right back. This is Sex and Science Hour. Stay tuned. We're going to talk about more Black Mirror stuff. Bees. Hey, it's Sex and Science Hour. I want to let you know that if you like this podcast, we have another podcast that you may very well be a fan of, too. It's Brian's podcast. And it's about technology and how it can set you free. It's a really good show. In fact, tonight, he was really kind of stressed out because he was doing research for it because he prepares for it every week. Oh, we got a big episode this week. A big episode because you're talking about what? Vault 7. Vault 7. That's right. Leak. Yep, so stay tuned. Tune into Sovereign Tech at sovrynntech.com if you want to know more about that. And as uh, Brian's biggest sponsor says, the Golden Stallion never phones one in. He's always prepared. That is what my sponsor said. All right, now back to Sex and Science Hour. This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome back to the show. All right, I said we were going to talk about more Black Mirror stuff, and I am not going to disappoint. I'm going to pay that tease. So, um... If you've seen Black Mirror, it's a Netflix series, and there's they're all shorts. It's it's almost like an anthology where you it's have lots like of different Twilight short Zone. stories. Yeah, it's like a Twilight Zone. Exactly, yeah. good way to describe it. Um, so yeah, it's like each episode is sort of a standalone one, and it's like a it's a dystopian thing about technology. What can happen when technology goes wrong? Yeah, what can go wrong? Um, so the season finale of of the I believe it was the very last episode that's been made at this point of season three was yeah. about these bee drones. Yeah, I think it's Hated in the Nation, I think is the name of the episode. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And there was it was a very intricate plot. It was one of the longer epi- episodes. So I'll try, I won't give a plot spoiler, but it's really good. You should watch it if you get a chance. Right. Um, but it, it had to do with these bee drones because all the bees died due to colony collapse disorder or something. So they introduced these drone bees that were little mechanical insects mm-hmm. that would fly around pollinating flowers as a normal, as a natural bee does. And then they would go, they would go back to these hives, right, to recharge. Right. But they're all like, you know, metallic. And they were just kind of flying around in the environment doing the job of bees. But there was more to that than meets the eye. There yes. was uh, <laughs> there was some surveillance capabilities of the bees and also and some some very uh, scary capabilities of the bees that formed the plot of the episode. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this was sent in by Cog- Cognitive Dissident, our favorite show prep supplier there. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the title of the article from The Verge is Be Optimistic. This drone can still pollinate plants even if all the bees die. Meet the artificial pollinators of tomorrow. So this is literally the same thing that was in that Black Mirror episode of the idea of artificial bees, drones. Wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me more. Okay. Researchers... So I can shit my pants. Yeah, exactly. I'm already (laughs) shitting my pants. Researchers in... Where else? Japan. Ah, They love little small things. Masters of robots. Yes. And small things. Yeah. Research. What does that mean? <laughs> no, like everything. It's like a cultural thing. Like everything. Like small oh, is cute. Like, yeah, because you got to fit so much in an island. It's cuter yeah. when gotcha. it's small, right? It's like yep. an aesthetic. Okay. <laughs> Researchers in Japan have created insect-sized drones that pollinate plants to replace or at least help real honeybees. The robot pollinators have animal hair on their backs and a special sticky gel that allows them to pick up and release pollen grains. But for now, they're a long way from pollinating anything outdoors. The tiny drones are not autonomous and have never been tested outside the lab. Bees are not doing well. Bee populations in the United States and around the world have declined rapidly in recent years. 
What? I don't agree with that. In fact, I think there's counter statistics to that point. Really? That there's actually more bees than there have been in like 20 years right now. Really? Yeah. I mean, why are they saying all the bees are dying from the Wi-Fi and the pesticides and the what else, whatever else? Yeah, that that's the thing is that it. I think that's that's been debunked. But here's the caveat to that. But debunked by who? Like anti-environmentalist people? No, no, I, I think it's legit, but there's okay. a caveat. The caveat is is that there's more bees because so many people are into beekeeping now. Oh, oh, and so yeah. And so, like, there may be less in the wild, but there are, statistically... Bees are there becoming are, domesticated. Yeah, I've I've covered this on, on my show Sovereign Tech. Right, um, but okay, there well, are that actually, makes sense. That doesn't mean that some of the concerns, because I share or, you know, I... I I wonder about, you know, Wi-Fi cell signals and all that stuff interrupting bees and everything. Mm-hmm. But as far as the just the raw data that not the raw honey, but the raw data <laughs> that uh, <laughs> you're a raw honey. <laughs> yeah, hey. <laughs> um, I was going to say better than a raw dog. But <laughs> no, whatever. <laughs> you can, I'll, I'll go with that. All right. We'll run with it. Leave it in. Leave it in. Fuck. We'll do it live. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right. Uh, but, but the, the raw data is that there are more bees on the planet today than there have been in 20 and over 20 years. Uh, but again, understand right. that those are kind of in controlled conditions. Which, yeah. That's really interesting. Are they like more specific breeds of bees or sp- species of bees bees no, that are easier to keep in, in captivity? I don't, I don't think so. In fact, that gets into some interesting stuff too, because like hornet populations and wasp populations like have never really been endangered. Bumblebees, oh yeah, if only I, they would be because they're kind of a nuisance. Right? Yeah, I think bumblebees. <laughs> we have nests on the side of our place. Right, right. I think bumblebees may may have been a major concern, and it's certainly that's something to worry about because obviously beekeeping is mostly done. You know, it's mostly honeybees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very specific breeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Yeah, I I just know that 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 kind of that concern is is at least now we know is a little overblown. Like now there's enough data to suggest wait a second no this isn't exactly accurate. But there's caveats with all that. So anyway, wow. that's not I, what well, I'm saying is that was a really is, interesting tangent. Yeah, I, what I'm saying is the Japanese may may not be wasting their time all the same. Yeah. So, anyway, okay. Continue. Well, I mean it would be good like if there was some not like an EMP, but like if if there was some ecological event that just took out all the insects or all the bees mm-hmm. it would be good to have something to replace them because all the food dies with no bees it's better than nothing i yeah. think is the way to it's, phrase it. it's better than nothing it's yeah. better than nothing well yeah true maybe if you if something takes out all the flying things you got bigger problems than just the food going yeah. bad but well, that's one of them right yeah i mean just to say it's good is yeah anyway. yeah no Continue. you're right it's le- it's yeah. better than nothing it's, i like the way you phrase that okay so um uh let's see bee populations they say have declined rapidly pro- possibly because of pesticides diseases and climate change pesticides diseases and climate change that's bad climate change that might be <laughs> 50 might be shades apropos. of climate change <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's bad for agriculture and the economy. Bees pollinate more than $15 billion worth of crops in the U.S. every year, including apples, berries, cucumbers, and almonds. Without pollinators, we wouldn't have a lot of the food that we rely on every day. Last year, the U.S. declared an endangered species, seven species of Hawaiian bees, as well as the rusty-patched bumblebee that is native to the Midwest and East Coast. Never heard of it. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so the bumblebee... So some of these, yeah. So some of them, I the think there are, there are concerns, right? Okay, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, as far as raw numbers of just bees. 
species. Yeah. Like, it's not exactly true. But anyway, I mean, there's tons of species going extinct and, right. you know, every year all the time. But anyway, anyway, go ahead. Anyway, going on. The so-called colony collapse disorder is in part what inspired researchers in Japan to create a robot bee, says Ijiro Miyako, a co-author of the study published today in the journal Chem. Oh, that's horse crap. It, it, Anime well, they, is what is what inspired the <laughs> Japanese to, you know. Well, they probably got the grant from the colony collapse disorder. Oh, that's to, true. All right, continue. <laughs> the artificial polliner, pollinator is made of a 1.6 by 1.6 inch drone equipped with animal hair to mimic the fuzzy body of a bee. And they have a picture of it where it's it's literally a, a drone with four, like a quadcopter with a patch of hair on the top. And it has some LED lights on it. It has four little propellers, tiny little two-inch drone. That is uh, kind of impressive. Very interesting. It doesn't look like a bee at all, but, um, I mean, that's kind of good, probably, because you don't want people to step on it or something, and and it's not going to sting you. Miyako then coated... Yeah, function over form. Miyako then coated the hair with a sticky gel he created and flew the remote-controlled drone into the flowers of pink-leaved Japanese lilies. The drone was able to pick up pollen like a natural pollinator, when flown into another flower, the drone released the pollen grains, successfully pollinating the plant. Ah, plant sex. <laughs> this isn't the first time scientists created artificial bees. In 2013, Harvard researchers unveiled the Robo Bee, a tiny flying robot that can latch onto the underside of any flat surface using static electricity. Oh, that's fucking scary. Imagine how much that would spy on you. Yeah. The artificial pollinators described in today's study are manually controlled via remote control. But in the future, researchers hope to use a combination of AI, GPS, and high-res cameras to create completely autonomous machines. Are you freaked out yet, Brian? Yeah, I'm done. Totally I'm freaked out. out, too. Not okay. More coming up. Hey, here on Sex and Science Hour, you may not know this because you listen to my podcast, but I'm also a voice actor, and I have lots of audiobooks. I would like to recommend a book called The Passive Income Book that I narrated recently. Well, I didn't narrate it recently. I narrated it a while ago, but it's recently released. It's by Steve Pavlina. You may have heard of him. He's a polyamorous personal development blogger. Fairly popular. <laughs> but, but he writes a lot about passive income, and this has nothing to do with uh, with dating advice in this book. Maybe a little bit, maybe like a little bit, but mostly it's about how to make passive income, which is something that lots of people are interested in. So if you're interested in that, go to audible.com and look for the Passive Income book by Steve Pavlina, narrated by me, Stephanie Murphy. And if you want to listen for free, let me know. I'll give you an Audible coupon code. All right, now back to the show. <laughs> This is Sex and Science Hour. Enough shameless plugs here. We, we like butt plugs more than shameless plugs, right? Uh, no. Whatever You're like, your speak for yourself. <laughs> Brian hates butt stuff. He will not Whoa, hold engage on. in That's any butt stuff. That's a strong word. Might well, not be strong enough. He, it's, not. Not his, it's not his preference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might not be strong enough for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, not your thing, Brian, and that's people okay. People can rock I, and roll. They'll I respect they want. that. Thank you. <laughs> I do respect that. Um, you know, can we comment on the bees just a, just a touch more, real quick? Well, that was a perfect segue into this next article. But yeah, tell me more about the bees. Oh man, we'll, I ruined we'll put the it segue. in our back pocket. No, all right, no, it's okay. Brian. It's really all <laughs> okay. right. Yeah. So, what did you have right, in so mind? So here's the, here's the problem with the bees. All right, I mean, forget about the fact that these would all be programmed, and the amount of metadata that could be collected by by, you know, corporatist, you know, scum, you know, be it governments or, or organizations, you know, or b businesses, companies, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, all of the above. That's why I use the word corporatist. Um, you know, that, that's, that's a problem in itself. Could they be used for spying? Certainly. I, you know, I see no reason why, even just from the metadata alone, whether they had a camera on them or whatever they had, uh, or a microphone or not. 
my concern is, is that I don't think people really respect the math that kind of the universe lays upon itself. And I don't think... Yeah, I already agree with you, and I don't even know what you mean by that, but go ahead. (laughs) Please explain. (laughs) I'm just saying that humans can't develop an AI. First off, you know, this notion of like this AI that can think like a human, I really don't think that's happening. Uh, it's been promised for way too long. I mean, they thought that 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 shit was going to happen in the 60s. Really, you can listen to Marvin Minsky. And look, I respect these guys to, you know, to no end. Like Marvin Minsky's a personal hero. OK, but, you know, it, they never delivered. And I don't think they're ever really going to li- deliver. I don't care what any of these guys say. Um, but automation is a thing. And that's really what when they use the terms AI, you know, that that means something. The thing is, is that, you know, you're really like you're not taking into account all of the factors that make up, you know, what bees themselves do on a day-to-day basis. And I don't think you can, you know, that any human could really quantify like every single little thing and all the adaptability that comes along with that. And so I I think you're going to create all kinds of problems when you even try to program, you know, bees to, or robotic bees to mimic what, what actual bees do. Even as simplistic as the bee mind is. Okay. I mean, it's place, and, and all the little things it does. I mean, like, like here's something real quick. I put in my shake, okay, uh, uh, bee pollen granules. I put these in my protein <laughs> shake, right? right? Yes. Now, these things, I mean, they're a superfood. Like, they're, they're, like, they're like avocados. It's a fucking superfood, all right? These robot bees aren't going to generate that. They can't because it, it's this byproduct of just the bees moving around in the fucking combs. Mm. I mean, like, you know, there's so... And also the, the incentives. Like, robots, robot bees don't have that survival incentive that right. living things do. And that incentive drives them to do behavior like seek out the, the most nutritious flowers with the best nectar and then communicate to the other bees in their group where those flowers are and go there too and pollinate those. Yeah, that's why that's why I said it's better than nothing, but that's as good as it is. Yeah. It's better than nothing. I feel like know? just randomly flying around pollinating every flower is is maybe not the most efficient. It's not the way real bees do it either. The Japanese, and I say this with absolute respect because I really appreciate their culture and their country. I've been there many a time. They'll make a theme park out of it. They'll make a ton of money. It'll look like the future and it'll be a great time and go ahead and do that. You know, otherwise, yeah, let's, uh, you know, let's just hooray for the beekeepers keeping the bees alive. (laughs) Why don't we have robot flowers too, right? I mean, it's just easier right. to have trees, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trees. Yeah, that, that, that's coming. Anyway, you know, uh, I'm just going to recommend a documentary um, all watched over by Machines of Loving Grace. Oh, yeah, yeah. Watch this documentary and you'll see exactly what I mean about this, this just the, the faulty thinking of humans thinking they can program nature, you know, into a certain way. It just it doesn't work. Well, I'm with you. I'm yeah. totally with you. All right. As something always goes wrong. So anyway, speaking of something going wrong. Um, <laughs> oh, butt stuff. And speaking of <laughs> painful butt <Just> stuff. <laughs> um, from the BBC News. <laughs> the BBC. Sorry. <laughs> from the BBC News. Sex is painful for nearly one out of ten women, study finds. Eey, by Michelle Roberts. No, that's bad. Um, nearly one in 10 British women find sex painful, according to a oh, big on. study. Well, that's because they're British. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's I'm, probably higher in the U.S. I'm totally know. kidding, okay? I am not saying you need to just, you know, think of Mary England and lay back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. 
Well, that's what I mean. I think that's what a lot of women are taught to do. They yeah, are taught that sex know. is not fun. It's not pleasant. You're not supposed to feel pleasure. It's your wifely duty. And actually, if you feel pleasure, that's bad. It makes you a slut. Ugh. Right. That's like this religious idea yeah. or puritanical idea. Um, so I anyway, wonder why Hellfire Clubs became a thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what even is a Hellfire Club? Something uh, naughty, right? Well, Hellfire, yeah, it's like uh, Monks of Medenham, Sir Francis Dashwood and all that, you know, do what thou wilt. Mm. Um, just where they, they got together at like a pub or something like this and people acted out their debaucherous uh, desires oh that, my. that they couldn't, that they quote unquote couldn't in, uh, in proper society. <laughs> so, <laughs> you are the expert on sexy occult rituals. I think you spend a lot of time researching this. I Maybe we should do research, some research after the show. Practice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I make sure. I um, want to know, does this really work? And we find out. Or, well. That's right. Yeah. Well, Continue. For the name of science, anyway. He'll um, <laughs> The survey of nearly 7,000 sexually active women aged 16 to 74 in British Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, which is a big medical journal, suggests that this medical problem called dyspareunia is common and affects women of all ages. Women in their late 50s and early 60s are most likely to be affected, followed by women ages 16 to 24, because they don't know what the fuck they're doing yet. And they've been fed a lot of lies and myths about sex, probably. Probably got married early. Doctors say that there are treatments that can help if women seek advice, but many still find the subject embarrassing and taboo, the survey results show. Painful sex was strongly linked to other sexual problems, including vaginal dryness, feeling anxious during sex, and lack of enjoyment of sex. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that hits the nail on the head, you know, if you'll pardon the metaphor. I mean, it's just like, if it hurts, there's something that's not, that's not how it's supposed to feel. It's like stretching. Yeah. It's not supposed to hurt. You're supposed to feel a stretch when you stretch, but it's not supposed to hurt. Kind of the same way with sex. And also, this is very heteronormative. They're talking about women having sex with men and having sex with men by the man sticking his penis in her. Right. There's other ways to have sex with a man besides just that, besides the PIV. And there's other ways to have sex, period, besides that. You could have sex with somebody of a different gender. You could rub your clitoris. You could do other things. You could use a vibrator yeah. that doesn't go inside of you. So they're, they're talking about vaginal penetration, and that hurts. And that's only one way to have sex. There's other sex acts that you can do that are that may not hurt. Yeah, and, uh, you know, like I, I have so much empathy for what, uh, you know, women, you know, the female gender has to, or, you know, the female sex has to go through. Because, like, I mean, you know, your genitalia is really fucking complex. Like, <laughs> it's really not that complex. No, no, no. It, I, but it, I, I think it kind of is because, like, to be able to address what's wrong, what's hurting, and all that stuff, like, I think it's a good idea to know what the cervix is. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good idea to know all of these different parts inside of you so that you can, you know, that way you can actually diagnose, you can address okay, what's happening? Is it the way that I, is it the position I'm in and the way that is, you know, that the guy's dick goes in that, that this becomes a problem. And if you know all of your, you know, all of your parts, mm-hmm. I think you can assess what's going on and you yeah. can, and you can tell your partner, Hey, you know, like, like, you know, you're hitting my cervix or something like this and right. that hurts. Or you're pu- pushing against my bladder or something or right. whatever. And it doesn't help that, and we've, we talk about this many times on this show, it doesn't help that science in, uh, you know, female, really, sexuality hasn't really done any leaps and bounds until the past decade. 
you know, where, where it's really gotten explored. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, I just, I feel so bad. Yeah. Because- there's so much ignorance and mystery. I mean, even the, the name that people call it, they use, Oh, down there, you know, they won't even right. say the anatomical names of the parts. And, and yeah, there's just so much shame and secrecy and, um, hidden knowledge, forbidden knowledge, if you will, Duh. about those parts of the body. So, um, yeah, I think step number one, if, if this is affecting you, um, and if you don't know where to start, I would start, I would start with addressing the shame. Yeah. You, you got to get comfortable at least talking about it. And then there's a lot you can do about this problem. Yeah. I mean, just trust me, that devil vagina magic is wonderful. Okay. <laughs> You're talking about a meme yeah. <laughs> that says, don't fall in love with girls and their devil vagina no, magic. Feel and no little, shame. A cult picture of a woman <laughs> spreading her legs and there's like light coming from her puss. Um, <laughs> it, is a, it is an amazing, wonderful, beautiful, and I mean that with all seriousness, you know, uh, thing, body part, I mean, and, and organs and all that. It's just wonderful. Thank you. Um <laughs> I don't know why I said thank you, but (laughs) I'm really amazed at the whole body. It's just incredible. Like every body part is so cool and amazing. But, but anyway, um, you know, there could be other reasons too. Like maybe you don't have any problems with sexual shame, but you just had a baby and you had like some kind of a rip torn or something. (laughs) And, you know, right. (laughs) Not a good thing to happen during childbirth, but you know, those take a while to heal from and you have to find a doctor. You may have to do pelvic floor rehab or something like that. Mm. I don't know because I'm not your doctor. So you got to go seek out a doctor to figure out what's going on. But um, probably a lot of people who are affected by this problem, especially the younger women, the younger women and younger people are, um, are, are suffering from the shame, the ideas about it, um, the stigma, the lack of, education about it the lack of experience of knowing any better and knowing that this is not supposed to hurt it's supposed to feel pleasurable or else there's something wrong yeah yeah the health books suck in school they're terrible i I can only imagine how bad i don't ever remember i had i grew up in liberal progressive massachusetts in a suburb of Boston. Yep. You would think this is the most liberal, progressive place in the U.S. to get sex ed. And I, I went to school in, I was in high school in the late 90s. And um, I do not remember ever once hearing in sex ed class that sex is supposed to be pleasurable. For either gender or sex. Like, that- no matter who you are. They didn't say it feels good. They never acknowledged that it's fun and it feels good. It was all like, this is going to give you babies and diseases and all kinds of things you don't want. And that's a guarantee if you do it. So don't even fucking think about it. And if you want to put on a, if you want to learn how to put on a condom, you got to go see Nursie in her office, which oh, yeah. nobody wanted to do. Yeah. And it, it didn't help that like, you She'll know, show you on a banana. Right. I the mean, offer, you know, usually like for me, so I was in New York and, and I remember specifically, it was actually like sixth grade, I think. And it was in health class when this stuff, first came up and it didn't help that like okay you know we're talking about sex we're going to talk about you know the vagina the vulva we're going to talk about uh you know the penis today and then like the next day you're talking about getting hairy tongue and and like you know (laughs) pubic lice and all this other shit and it's just like wait a minute i mean what are you equating right like hairy tongue that's what i've never heard before i've heard hairy palms but never oh my god don't go to google images right now but it's it's totally a legit. Oh, thing. I thought I, I know what it is. I just thought it happened when people had like leukemia or something. Oh well, whatever. But I mean, the point is, is that like like you're lit. It's just so I, I think yeah, it's so problematic. The shit out of us. Yeah, be, and you you know they talk about it in the same breath as talking about snooping, and it's like you know 
wow, yeah, way to way to scare the crap out of us, mm-hmm. you know, for oh, anyway. To- any pleasure focused sex education that I got, I got outside of the the yeah. government school, high school <laughs> party line or whatever. Hooray for I, Ann Cooper. Uh I've never heard of Ann Cooper, but I read um The Guide to Getting It On by Paul Jonides. Dr. Paul was awesome. Brilliant book. Um The Good Vibrations Guide to Sex. That yep. was another good one. There's a there's a book from the seventies called The Joy of Sex. It's a little bit dated maybe, but it was good too. Um you know, so there's lots of there's lots of pleasure focused sex books that still give you the information you needed to know about protecting your health and safety, but they don't do it in a way that scares the shit out of you and makes you think that's all there is to sex is danger and bad. Yeah. So, right, like if you had that education, no wonder it would hurt when you had sex. You'd get a fucking headache just thinking about it. It's like there's pleasure doesn't even enter into the equation. It's like you expect it to be horrible. So anyway, um, uh, they got some quotes from women, but I think I think we'll just move on. Um, they say, you know, uh, painful sex can be caused by health problems, sexually transmitted infections, endometriosis, fibroids, which should be diagnosed and treated. Women around the age of menopause can find sex painful because of vaginal dryness. But it's not just older women who can feel embarrassed about talking about it, even though the con- condition is common. So. Anyway, um, oh, wow. Other research, this is interesting, other research involving about 200 college students in Canada suggests up to half of young women find their first experience of intercourse painful. Uh, yeah. The, well, I, I mean, straight up, I blame conservatism. Just putting that out there. <laughs> all my friends, I remember we were talking about lo- losing our virginity. All my friends were like, oh, yeah, it hurts. It hurts. It's like yeah. it was expected. And so I expected it to hurt and it did. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, right, looking back on it now, I realized like, you know, I just wasn't turned on enough. I was nervous. So I was yeah, like, okay, let's get it over hurt, with. Right? No, it doesn't have to hurt. Right. Of course not. Yeah. Especially if you go slow and you're turned on and yeah, that's just lame. Well, anyway, I hope that if you're having issues with this, you take the time to look into it and, you know, ask somebody for help. And hopefully if you're a young person listening to this and you don't have any sexual shame or you're getting over your sexual shame, um, good for you. You'll never have to worry about it. Yeah. Hopefully. Learn your body. Yep. All right. Um, So that was kind of a depressing article, but (laughs) important to talk about. Uh, Here's another depressing article. Couples are having less sex than those a decade earlier, study finds from the American Council on Science and Health. Um, This is by Eric Leaf. They're hooking up. They've got more access to safe sex and birth control information at their fingertips via smartphone than any generation in human history. They've got access to a tech-filled world of dating apps and can produce a prospective partner in as little time as as it takes to heal an Uber. (laughs) So naturally, millennials are having more sex than anyone their age has had in recent years, right? Wrong. Just the opposite. Oh, that's according to a new study published, which found that Americans are having sex now less than in generations past, which includes millennials having less than those at the same age of the previous generation, a conclusion from a previous related study. So let me get this straight. Um, Okay, well, they're going to explain it. The researchers wrote, quote, with age and time period controlled, those born in the 1930s had sex the most often. Those born in the 1930s? Yeah, so like when they're age 20, let's just say. Okay. People who were born in the 1930s, so like our grandparents, yeah. were fucking the most. That's incredible. Whereas those born in the 1990s, 
including millennials and iGen, had sex the least often. Well, uh, I it, mean... Can like, you believe that? You know, well, I can Yeah, for only one reason. I mean, it's still like surprising to hear, you know, but... It's but like, yet everybody blames millennials for fucking everybody and yeah. spreading disease and doing the worst. They're the worst. They're so incompetent. They're leeches. They can't grow up. They can't. They don't buy anything. They they fuck all the time. But actually, that's not true. They're not fucking. Well, you got a couple things going in, in, into play here. I think. And I mean, we can read more of the article, you know, too. Yeah. But um, yeah. I know, have some ideas too, but I want to hear more. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to you want to read on and then we can talk about it? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Despite their reputation for hooking up, the current catch-all term for casual sexual encounters, millennials and the generation after them, known as iGen or Generation Z, are actually having sex less often than their parents and grandparents did when they were young. When they were young, said uh, San Diego State University psychology professor Gene Twenge, the lead. <laughs> The lead author of the study. Man, I get a twinge when I hear that. (laughs) That's partially because fewer iGeners and millennials have steady partners. Oh, that's an interesting, yeah. Mm. That's very interesting. In the new paper, based on survey survey data from the general social study collected from participating adults over 18, Americans, quote, who were married or living together had sex 16 times fewer per year in 2010 to 2014 compared to 2000 to 2004. Wow. Yeah. So that just in the last 10 years, the people who should be having the most sex, who have a steady partner who are either married or live with their partner, had less sex than a, just a decade ago. Wow. People of the same age range. Yeah, yeah, right. According to a university statement from the GSS, figures amounted to, quote, a nationally representative sample of more than 26,000 American adults asked about their sexual behavior since 1989. While millennials can be influenced by cultural developments that promote sexual behavior, there are mitigating factors at play as well, such as the, quote, widespread availability of porn, the historically high number of young adults living with their parents, well, you know, later age of first marriage, and increased access to instant entertainment online. Yeah, that was going to be something I was going to ask is like, okay, define sex. Like they're right. probably they're defining jerking it off as... to porn every day, every hour. Yeah, I mean, that's but... self-love. That's self-sex. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I consider that sex too. It's safe sex with someone you love, right? That's right. Yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but they're not having sex with other people. Not Probably not much. having PIV. I'm sure that's what they're thinking. Well, so, maybe it's just any, yeah, it's probably heteronormative focus, yeah. probably. That's how they got the numbers. But anyway, uh, much of this decline... Uh, Sorry. Um, As for the drop in sexual activity overall among all ages of American adults, Professor Twenge and her co-authors reached this conclusion for the falloff as the chart presented in the new study shows. Much of this decline is due to the lower marriage rate in recent years, as married individuals have sex more consistently than unmarried individuals. A similar trend appears for living together, they wrote at the end of the paper. In addition, those with steady partners are having sex less frequently. The decline in sexual frequency appears to be rooted thus in twin trends. Americans with steady partners are both fewer in number and have sex less often. Wow. Yeah. Depressing, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm, I So I um you, you want to tell me your thoughts on this or Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'll lay out why. I have a couple. Yeah. Um and they might be interrelated. Uh I do want to say first off, I want to caveat what I'm going to say with um look economics is not everything fucking deal with it okay yeah, but economics is not everything yeah but 
um, I think economics can have a lot to do with like, or yeah. the economics uh, climate can have a lot to do with mental health. I, and, I like where you're going with this. I was going to say the exact same thing. I'm right. pretty sure. So right. yeah, go lay it out. Lay it on me, Brian. Yeah. So, I mean, the people in the born in the thirties, you know, experienced the fifties, you know, they, yes. they experienced times of some pretty interesting, you know, well, technological progress and Yep. A degree of economic prosperity and, mm-hmm. and relative peace, um, I think, you know, albeit there's there certainly, you know, tensions at the Cold War and all that. But and uh, World War Two. But once that was over, yeah, everybody well, was I mean, they babies. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you certainly again, it's not like the culture was better or anything, just that. You know, it was easier to get a job. It was easy. I mean, lots of things were just were a lot easier. I mean, hell, even gas was what, you know, a nickel or something. I mean, like, like it was right. just you need gas to get in your car so you can drive to your sweetheart's house and or go to the drive in, take them to the drive in. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Take them out to the movies. Yeah. So so you've got that. And also, I wonder if the people born in the 30s were part of kind of, you know, the, the 60s sexual revolution. I mean, that that becomes a, a big mm, question. As that's well, yeah, that's totally possible as well. Would make tons of sense why they would, uh, you know, why they'd be registered as having the most sex of any, you know, of any other generation. Yep. Um, so, so you got the economic aspect. I think that's certainly something, I mean, obviously people born in the nineties, like they inherited, you know, an absolutely terrible economy in the United States. There's no question about that. Right. It was good Uh, when they were born, but by the time they're old enough to start thinking about having sex, it sucks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The economy is anyway. Right. Um, so my other, the other thing, and and this is, this is kind of just a little theory on my part. doesn't have as good numbers as talking about the economy. Um, music. Like, I, I feel like, I feel like today, you know, especially in the aughts and all this, like the music is just fucking depressing. Like it is. Like, <laughs> I think it reflects the culture. I, well, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how, how exactly all that works. Yeah. But like, you no, know, so I know much, what you mean. It yeah. was like the nineties. It was all like money, sex. Right. I mean, <laughs> and it's not like, I mean, and here's the thing, right? Is that. You can say, well, there's plenty of pop that's all about sex. I mean, look at Britney Spears or look at Katy Perry or something. And like, you know, their music's all about sex and it's out there. But, you know, a lot of their music, honestly, it's not that meaningful. It's not that sexy either. Well, right, right. I mean, it's kind of cheap and you know it. And as to where, you know, when you look at, say, like the the 70s, the 80s and even some of the 90s, you know, even the more indie, you know, the harder to find stuff, the meaningful stuff, which also ended up being kind of popular because, I don't know, whatever people had the mentality for it or something, uh, you know, was very sexy. I mean, and it was like drenched with, with sex and it was there. And like, I don't think you could help, but like, you know, I mean, you got turned on just listening, just turning on the radio, you know? And I think that that was also true in many ways in the fifties and sixties. I mean, you're talking about a time where, you know, Elvis, nobody has a radio anymore. Well, right. It's like you go to the grocery store and you hear pop songs and it's all like, I'm so depressed. I have no money. I'm going to kill myself. Sure. And everyone's like, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, or you're dealing with music or something. But music, I mean, yeah. you, know, you know, in the 50s, I mean, you know, you're dealing with 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 a, a time that was so sexually charged that, you know, you have Elvis Presley on TV and, and they can't even show his oh, hips yeah, because yeah. if he shook his hips, holy <laughs> shit, everybody be like, oh, men and women alike. You know, I mean, they'd be going wild. Uh, and, you know, and his music, sexy as hell. I'm a huge Elvis fan. Rolling Stones. I mean, you go down the list of all this stuff. Like, I mean, so I think like even the message that sex is a good and wonderful thing to do by actually talented musicians doesn't exist anymore i mean it's really not out there everything is fucking you know and like all this angry shit and it's like (laughs) hey look i can appreciate that okay you know there's a time and place but god damn it 
You know, it, it's just there's there's not like the message isn't even out there. And, you know, it, I, I was this on an old Sex and Science Hour where we talked about this or maybe it was back when we were on Free Talk Live. Do you remember? Was it Singapore? Yes. That they had the problem where their people, the people of Singapore, were not were not getting it on. They yeah. weren't fucking. They weren't having and babies. They weren't having babies. Yeah. And so and the like, government started a government matchmaking service or something like well, that. Well, they started a campaign with like these songs. They started like a day. Oh, yeah, what, that's what, right. It was National was, Night or something. Yeah, it was like, it was like, like National Night. The lyrics it's are national like, it's National Night. night. We're going to get it on yeah. tonight. Yeah. <laughs> they knew. Have a baby for the land. <laughs> the people of Singapore knew. They're like, look, if you want to get people getting it on, you know, you got to start rocking the music that's saying, look, it's okay. Go ahead and fuck. All right. And <laughs> well, I don't know. Not when the government is writing. Those, oh, I don't that want music. the government involved in that shit either but you get my point is yeah that, like I, I think they knew i get the point i mean i think the economy honestly um drives the music like it, the music reflects the the broader culture and that is so much about the economy and also just like the people's lifestyles like the way they are i mean people are going to school for longer they can't get jobs so they're doing like either unpaid internships or they're going to grad school or they're just like struggling and like when you're kind of in a survival nobody has enough money there's mm-hmm. no jobs for pe- for younger people. And so like when you when you feel like you're in a survival situation like that where you don't know where your next paycheck or meal is coming from, yeah. it's like sex is the last thing on your mind. You'd rather sure. just talk, jerk off to porn or whatever. Like you can't think of forming relationships with the people and sure. intimate relationships. Um and also like a lot of the, the people that are young now are are children of divorced parents. And so they're like, okay, well, I don't really have much of a template for how to form like a lasting loving relationship either. So, yeah, you know, all of which is a pity because I think that. Well, I don't mean. Yeah, I mean, on second thought, I'm sure there were lots of unhappy marriages that stayed together earlier than that. It was just more stigmatized to get divorced. But well, but, you know, here's the thing, you know, talking about the work thing, you're absolutely right. Like you don't think about it. But here's here's the irony. It's kind of like working out. Okay, where I think and it's it's sort of cart before the horse, I guess. Like stooping, getting it, you know, having sex, getting it on, I think could actually propel you to some degree into success because (laughs) not really. I I don't mean like to get into the porn industry. I just mean that like, it's like makes you feel like a million bucks. And then when you feel like a million bucks, you perform like a million bucks. You know, like I said, it's like working out. Okay. Yeah. You don't feel like working out, but after you work out, you're so happy you did and you feel better and you have more energy and you're ready to take on the It's true. It is one of those things like that. I think sex is the same thing. It's not like it's a huge struggle to get in the mood all the time, but yes, sometimes it is for sure. Sure. It can be, uh, you know, or whatever the, you know, the situation that, you know, the personal climate that you're involved in, um, you know, that, that, that you just don't feel like you can get on, get it on or think about it. But when doing it might actually get you out of the rut, you know, in, in a million ways. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a powerful aspect of the human condition. Right on. Well, yeah. Um, that was depressing. I think we better just move on to the, our next article. Um, <laughs> uh, Give me something happy, yeah, Stephanie, please. Okay, well, I don't actually know if this is happy, but <laughs> but this got sent into us, too, um, on Facebook. From Thought Catalog, this guy made a fake Tinder profile to prove that girls never think hot guys are creepy. From Clint Conway. <laughs> Oh, that's crap. Uh, yeah, I've, I think it's crap, too, but let's uh, let's explore what this is. All right. So a a person 
a bodybuilding enthusiast named German Lifter, that's his screen name, decided to conduct a social experiment to see how much easier life was for attractive dudes. He created a Tinder profile using pics of a guy from the Call Me Maybe music video. The model has a great ideal body type, which is, well, a gorgeous male model. Here's a reel of photos that he used on his profile. And there's like pictures of this guy from this music video. A-plus main pick, showing off the model's great teeth and hair. Super simple bio, definitely good to mention that 6'3 height stat. Gotta have brooding, dark, mysterious pick. And in case anyone isn't already sold, there's a shirtless pick that makes it 100% clear that this guy is ripped. And this pick just says, fuck me. <laughs> With a fake profile all set up, German lifters start swiping. Without even trying very hard, countless matches start flowing in. Also, I have absolutely zero game. This is a quote from him. I wasn't even trying. I was just sending random bullshit that came off the top of my head. And it doesn't matter. All the following conversations take place in a time frame of about two hours. I can't even keep up with all the matches and messages I'm getting. It would probably take 10 plus people working full time to talk to all the girls who want this guy. Here's the conversations he had. Hey, can you sit on my face so I can eat my way to your heart? What are you doing tonight? <sighs> Jerking off to your pics? Let's hang. Number, and then she gives him his number, it, the number. It doesn't matter how raunchy and offensive his opening line is, these girls are totally into him. I want to be inside you. Oh, damn autocorrect. I meant to say, hi. Mmm, I see. Well, it looks like your phone speaks its mind. Wink. Will you sit on my face and I'll eat my way to your heart? Oh, that's so sweet and generous. All right, all right. <laughs> So. Um, hey babe. Oh, here's another one. Hey babe, want a bang? I think that could happen. Ha ha. Number. <laughs> she gives him his, the number and says, "Hit me up." When can I see them? Winky face. Well, you're just gonna have to be patient. Why? I want you now. Then send a pic first. Wish I could fuck you, but you're too far away. Come to Philly one time and I'll bend you over and fuck you so hard that you'll feel it the next day. Oh, wow. I will. Okay. <laughs> okay, oh, Emoticon. Send me a pic so I can masturbate to it now. I mean, like, what if he's right. talking to other catfish? Right. Like, <laughs> right? You, you read my mind. Yeah. Because, I mean, okay, so this is being done on a dating site? Is Tinder. That, it's Tinder. On Tinder. Okay, it's on Tinder. He's probably talking to other catfish. I don't, yeah. I just don't even believe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, the, yeah, this is the thing. It's and obviously like, it's a selected sample of the, you know, cherry-picked messages. It's not a scientific study. Right, but this doesn't prove shit, because if he's faking, mm -hmm. all of them could be too. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Lots of people <laughs> yeah. fake on Tinder, yeah. Come on! There's bots. <laughs> you gotta use, what is it, Tinder Premium? There's, now, that, there's that new oh, Tinder. Oh, I don't even know. That, uh, that's for the elite. For the elite, yeah, it's an actual. Well, Tinder, where's my it's, invitation? It's a new Tinder app. Where's my invitation? I, I don't know. <laughs> I know I'm never getting one. Fuck, yeah, fuck those fucking apps. I know. I used to have Tinder, but I deactivated it a long time ago. Yeah, I'm just Ugh. yeah, dehumanizing. Yep. Um, Much like this. Yeah. So the thought catalogs is extremely biased. They say. No matter what this guy said, he never got called a creep. As far as we could tell, he didn't even get blocked or unmatched. I can't help but wonder what would happen if a dude wearing a fedora sent the exact same message. 
I can literally say anything and still get their number. The girls often initiate first and respond immediately when I send a message. Well, then they're stupid because they can't tell that this, this is the guy in the music video and it's not really him. It's a fucking catfish <laughs> profile. Admittedly, I did get turned down a few times only because I opened with stuff like, let's fook. <laughs> Where you spell, you couldn't even spell fuck right. <laughs> um... Some people, re- okay, so here's the punchline. Some people responded to this social experiment by saying that the obvious conclusion is obvious. People are only drawn to attractive people. Others said that Tinder is not a representative sample of all the people in the world, as most users are only open to hookups. But user Beta Than You <laughs> suggested that there is a social double standard where attractive men are allowed to say whatever they want a whole lot more than attract than unattractive men. So that was the question that we got. Is it possible that, you know, or sorry, is it impossible for hot guys to be creepy? Are only ugly guys considered creepy? Is it just the women who aren't giving the ugly, nice guys a chance and they're all fucked up in the head? No. No. (laughs) I've known many a gal that honestly, like if a guy looks that good or Mm -hmm. like if his hair is too perfect, like they're instantly turned off. Yeah. Because it's like, wait a minute, you know, this guy's like, that's just too much. Yeah. You know, and if a person looks too good, it's like, yeah, you got to do something to prove that you're real and not a catfish. You know, yeah. if, if this statement were in any way true, it's only true at first, Mm -hmm. you know, like you have a couple of experiences and that, that whole thing, you know, kind of washes away. Yeah. And people want to bring up Ted Bundy and it's like, okay, come on. It's a very different time for one, but you know, I think women, can also be creepy i think anyone can be creepy if they're saying something that that pushes boundaries especially if it's dangerous seeming if you get danger signals sure that's creepy i don't care what gender they are or what they look like it's creepy and that's what creepy is it's potentially threatening and boundary pushing yeah so there you go there's your answer i think attractive men can be creepy yeah maybe it's more likely that women are going to be interested in them if they're approaching women and so maybe they won't get rejected quite right away, but they can still be creepy. Oh, All right, yeah. more coming up if you want to get creeped on by us. we got an after show. <laughs> we will creep on you. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. show we support our podcast by talking about stuff.sexandsciencehour.com now what is that well you'll have to find out by going there no actually i'll tell you um (laughs) it uh, is a link that takes you to amazon.com and it's our affiliate link so if you go through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and you do your shopping through amazon just anything you normally get it doesn't change the price that you pay you've probably heard of this before um but it gives us a little commission and it also gives us a list importantly 
of what people bought in the last month or quarter or week or whatever. And then we can mine that list for interesting items and talk about it on our after show. (laughs) (laughs) Speculate about what they're doing with that uh, sex robot or whatever that they bought on Amazon. And you can buy quite a lot of stuff on Amazon, I have to say. So anyway, um, what did people buy this last week on Sex and Science Hour? You know, I'm just going to say this quick. Uh-huh. that The last story we talked about, last segment. Yep. What's a popular dating site or something? Um, OkCupid. OkCupid or something that was, you know, maybe invented by, the, by DARPA or something. They don't prove anything because so many people on there are so fucking fake, you know, and, and that's the best. Like, that's really the best thing to walk away with is like, oh, are attractive guys creepers? No, it's a good bet that whoever you're talking to on any of these platforms isn't is, real, isn't yeah. real. Yeah. That's your walk away. <laughs> that's right. That's okay, the take your away. takeaway. Yeah. yeah. Not your walk away. Yeah. Walk away from them anyway. But that's your takeaway. Uh, so anyway. So what did people buy on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week? Yeah. Why don't we get right to that? Yeah. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, so. Actually, we have a couple of items, uh, a couple of items of business first. First, we got an email, um, and then we have some stuff that we neglected to mention from previous weeks that just got lost in the shuffle that I wanted to get to. So anyway, um, writes in, I won't say his last name. We have a corporate sponsor, Brian. Uh-huh. <laughs> just heard you guys talk about some of my Amazon stuff. I was testing out to see if our new Amazon business account would work for referrals like you guys actually. Uh, two terabyte hard drives for an old super micro chassis I got on eBay to experiment with free NAS. Yeah. Uh, dual monitor stand to help keep my MacBook and keyboard up off my little desk in my rack room while working on configuring new switches and IP cameras. There was already a wall mount arm for the monitor. The SCSI card was a HAL... HAL SCSI. Oh, the SCSI. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's way more fun. The SCSI card was a Hail Mary attempt to retrieve files off a 23-year-old SCSI drive that used to be used in the show. Next order was lots of batteries for the wireless mics we use in the show and UPS. LOL. Fun to hear theories. I work at... (laughs) We must have had a theory about why he bought that. (laughs) Um, He said, I work at a classic show on the Vegas Strip. Don't really want any attention. If you're out, though, let me know. Nice. Love the show. Thanks. Thanks in vegas here and there appreciate that yeah yeah all right so and it just it occurred to me that he said he doesn't want any attention and we said his name and where he works so maybe we'll cut cut that out just bleep the name okay we'll bleep the name yeah Yeah. sounds good Um, (laughs) but but thank you thank you so much for being our corporate sponsor we really appreciate it yeah we now have two corporate sponsors yeah uh, we do we may have others that we don't even know about it's like fight club we now have corporate sponsorship the first rule (laughs) of sex and yeah first rule of sex and science hour is you do talk about sex and science yeah. hour. You post about all it on social media and Twitter all the time. <laughs> um, so a couple of weeks ago, somebody got a Play School Dragon Tales, Dragon Tales 12-inch plush talking dragon. It's a little pl- dragon plushie, and it, it's really cute. And the reason I'm saying this is because I just narrated a book, which you edited, Brian, yes. about dragon sex. Yeah, which I'm going to guess the play school toy isn't really for that. No, it's a kid's toy, but uh, that's totally separate. But But it ain't um, a kid's show. (laughs) No, it's not. Um, But it's a cute dragon, and it lights up and talks when you press its hand. So that's that's cool. It's a play school dragon tales uh, plushie. All right, quick question, Stephanie. Do you think dragons were ever real? No. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Well, I mean, unless you count dinosaurs. Yeah, right. It's like a flying dinosaur is pretty close to a dragon. Right. 
And okay. as far as breathing fire, eh, I don't know. That sounds more like a spaceship to me. Oh, jeez. Okay. You might be talking about the Yellow Emperor. That's right. All right. Um, somebody got a set of um, clear glass tea or coffee mugs from Anchor Hawking. It's a 16-ounce cafe mug beverage set, set of six, for 26 bucks. And I like this because I have a very similar set of cups or mugs, and they're awesome. I'm actually drinking out of one right now. Hell yeah. <laughs> so that's very cool. Next on the list, we have the CIA Master's Collection Measuring Spoon Set for 14 bucks. CIA being Culinary Institute of America, not oh, the actual okay. Central Intelligence Agency. but It's going to be Cup 7. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Star Coffee Stainless Steel Frothing Pitcher, plus bonus books, uh, e-gifts, sorry, <laughs> bonus gifts, e-book, and microfiber cloth. I can ca- I, uh, switch that around. Um Met- fucking a i better just start <laughs> over this is an espresso machine or espresso all machine right, it's a milk right. frother and it's a it's like this you know steel thing that froths up your milk to make a cappuccino or espresso uh thermos stainless king 68 ounce vacuum insulated beverage bottle midnight blue nice. so this is one of those soup thermoses that has a handle on it that you can put your lunch in if your lunch is soup it's like the ones you put around the neck of balto mm-hmm. all right my mom, when I was a kid, used to cook pasta in the morning, and she would put the pasta in one of those thermos bottles, and so then I would open it up and eat it at lunch. I used to love it like would still the, be warm. The full metal ones and everything. I mean, they're like they're practically indestructible. Oh yeah, know? for sure. I mean, you could defend yourself with one of those. And they keep the food cold or hot because yeah. it's vacuum sealed. Yeah. Um, try me tiger sauce one gallon. <laughs> try me tiger sauce. Did we talk about this? We may have, but I don't, I'm not sure. So Try Me Tiger Sauce is an exotic, moderately spicy blend of 28 ingredients in a cayenne pepper base. With a touch of sweet and sour, it's perfect for meat, seafood, and poultry. Oh, I was thinking it was like a nipple cream. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, there is the Tiger Balm, which is like a Vicks Vapor Rub kind of thing. Uh-huh. And people put it on women's nether regions to oh. sensitize them. Nether regions? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And uh, finally, the Disney movie, My Neighbor Totoro. Have you ever heard of this one? From nope. Hayan Miyazaki. Wow, no. It's a Disney movie? Apparently, eh, yeah. No. Eh. Disney Classics uh, Studio something. I'm actually a fan of it. Is it animated or live action? Um, It's animated. It's like, it's oh, like okay. Hayao Miyazaki directed Spirited Away, which is a really famous anime. Mm. Um, so it's from the same director. My Neighbor Totoro is a rare delight, a family film that appeals to children and adults alike. While their mother is in the hospital, 10-year-old Satsuki and 4-year-old Mei move into an old-fashioned house in the country with their professor father. At the foot of an enormous camphor tree, Mei discovers the nest of King Totoro, a giant forest spirit who resembles an enormous bunny rabbit. May and Satsuki learn that Totoro makes the trees grow, and when he flies over the countryside or roars in his thunderous voice, the winds blow. Totoro becomes the protector of the two sisters, watching over them when they want their father and while well, they wait for their father, and carrying them over the forests on an enchanted journey. When the children worry about their mother, Totoro sends them to visit her via a cat bus, a magical multi-legged creature with a grin that Cheshire Cat might envy. Sounds awfully Illuminati, MK Ultra, Disney yeah, to me. It definitely sounds a, a little, little Alice in Wonderland. Right yeah, yeah, doesn't it? 
Yeah, the bunny rabbit protecting the two guests. Uh, yeah, uh, uh. yeah, very weird, huh? Ixnay on the ombre. Okay, well, I'd welcome a review <laughs> of that film if you haven't jo- up and joined the Freemasons and the 33rd degree just yet. <laughs> if you have any time between your Mason meetings. Yeah. Uh. Give us a review. <laughs> Okay, so what did people buy in the last couple of weeks? Well, we had a couple of audiobooks. Heiress Without a Cause. Uh, Sex at Dawn, one of our favorite Ooh, books. Absolutely. The Mapmaker's Apprentice. Remains of an Altar. This Why does is, that sound familiar? I don't know. I'm trying to open these links, but the thing is, they show up, but since they were bought through Audible, I guess, they don't show, like, I can't open the link to the product, like I can usually open the link with books and stuff. Um, so we're gonna have to like look these up manually, Brian. The Map Maker's Apprentice. The Map Maker's Apprentice. Yeah. Do you hear me typing that in? Yeah, I, we could hear. Oh it. yeah, it's by C.J. Archer. Uh, no, it's not ringing a bell. When an apprentice from the Map Makers Guild goes missing, Matt and India are employed to find him. Going undercover as a married couple, they discover that not everyone at the guild is what they seem, and the la- the lad's unearthly maps cause jealousy, suspicion, and fear. Hmm. Mm, okay. That sounds good. Um. Well, Sex at Dawn is a great book that we've talked about multiple times yeah. on this show. Um. It's by Chris Ryan and Casilda Jetha, which they're probably fucking as we've established. Yeah. Um, the Watchmaker's Daughter and the Mapmaker's Apprentice sound like they're related. Part of a series. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The Remains of an Altar is another one. Um, and The Suspicions of Mr. Witcher. Sounds pretty good. Okay. In the auto department, we had, uh, for Volkswagen, VW, Volkswagen? whatever, <laughs> windshield wiper blades. Two pieces, Volkswagen VW 24-inch, 19-inch, Aero Premium, all-season, bracketless windshield wiper blades. Safe buy. You can't really, uh, you know, you can't really uh, modify the programming for those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're they're not uh, Internet of Things devices yeah. yet. <laughs> Just wait. Um, in, the, in the beauty department, we had uh, vegetable glycerin. So glycerin can be used for lots of things, to make bubbles. Bombs. To make bombs, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to make soap. Yeah, it soap. can be used for all kinds of legit purposes, right? Yeah, of course. Um, you can also put it in food if it's food-grade glycerin. Paper Street Soap Company. Yep. It says it's uh, it's USP, um, kosher, high quality. So it's food-grade. You could eat this. Um, yeah, Paper Street Soaps. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Fight Club, right? Yeah. Um, oh, wait. We can't talk about that. Yeah. Um, in the books, how to read a book. The Classic Guide to Intelligent Reading, oh. a touchstone book by Mortimer J. Adler and Charles Van Doren. With half a million copies in print, How to Read a Book is the best and most successful guide to reading comprehension for the general reader, completely rewritten and updated with new material. What does, uh, like, does, does it give any hint at what it suggests? I don't, um, I, I'm not aware of the book. Yeah, I, I feel like I've heard of this book. It's probably like a college book, but... Uh, okay, originally published in 1940, this book is a rare phenomenon, a living classic that introduces and elucidates the various levels of reading and how to achieve them, from elementary reading through systematic skimming and intersectional reading. Oh, sorry. Um, inspectational reading. Inspectional reading? <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that. Inspectional reading. So, like, you're inspecting it. Not intersectional, not inspectational inspectional to speed reading 
Readers will learn when and how to judge a book by its cover, and also how to x-ray it, read it critically, and extract the author's message from the text. Also included is instruction in the different techniques that work best for reading particular genres, such as practical books, imaginative literature, plays, poetry, history, science, mathematics, philosophy, and social science works. Finally, the authors offer a recommended reading list and supply reading tests you can use to measure your own progress in reading skills, comprehension, and speed. Hmm. Super cool. Yeah. You know, I read a, I read a really interesting uh, uh, article uh, this past week yeah. that talked about how like speed reading, not that this is just speed oh, reading. Oh, yeah. It but, was debunking speed reading. Yeah, it says saying, no one actually even gets the point. Yeah. Saying it's terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's a great video, um, and, and I almost hate to like recommend this, but there, a very famous, uh, I think it was a bishop. I mean, now I know he's listed as the Venerable. So the Venerable Fulton J. Sheen of the Catholic Church. The Sheen. Yeah, the Sheen. <laughs> but this guy. Brian gets a Sheen yeah. on his forehead whenever he eats really spicy food. That's right. <laughs> That's why I said that. <laughs> so, but Fulton Sheen. I call him Charlie Sheen. Yeah. <laughs> Martin Sheen. Anyway. Fulton Sheen. Ful- Fulton Sheen. Okay. <laughs> That while unfortunately part of the Catholic Church was a brilliant guy and he was like he was a TV superstar um, and he'd have his little segments and everything that that he would do. And he you can find this clip on YouTube where he talks about how to how to read. And it is just one of the most simple, most brilliant explanations of how to actually read a book. And he, he just I mean, he has a real like presence, just a real magnetism to him, uh, a hell of a talker. Uh, so you know, that, that's something to look up to. If you don't want to read an entire book, I definitely recommend Fulton Sheen's, uh, you know, kind of his, his, his video on how he talks about how to read. Cool. Uh, and like he makes a really important point that after you read a book, don't move on to the next book, chew on that book for a couple of days. He says, you really don't get the book until you chew on it. And I mean, and it's just a brilliant little anyway. Yeah. You're consolidating all that information in your brain. Yeah. Fulton Sheen was a it. hell of a guy. All right. <laughs> Oh, Classical Philosophy, A History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps, Volume 1, by Peter Adamson. Looks like a college textbook. Cool. Uh, Learning All the Time by John Holt. John Holt is a big unschooling advocate. Yeah. Uh, The essence of John Holt's insight into learning in small children is captured in Learning All the Time. This delightful book by the influential author of How Children Fail and How Children Learn shows how children learn to read, write, and count in their everyday life at home, and how adults can respect and encourage this wonderful process. For human beings, he reminds us, learning is as natural as breathing. John Holt's wit, gentle wisdom, and infectious love of little children bring joy to parent and teacher alike. So very cool. Yeah, I know a lot of... Not a lot of my friends recommend John Holt's books, uh, especially if you're interested in unschooling or homeschooling. Um, What else? Mad Philosopher 2016, The Ramblings of a Free Thinker in an Unfree World by Mad Philosopher. Oh, we actually know Mad Philosopher. Yeah. Somebody bought their book. Well, he'd like, never mind, I won't say it. <laughs> okay. Uh I think I might have an inkling of what you were going to say, but we will No, just, well, all right, we'll I'll leave say that it. I'll say it. He might appreciate Fulton Sheen. Ah, cool. Okay. I'll just say that much. Yep. He probably knows exactly who he is. Anyway, continue. Yep, he's a he is a mad philosopher. Yeah. Nietzsche, Volume 1, The Will to Power as Art. Ooh, mad philosopher. <laughs> volume 2, The Eternal Recurrence of the Same. 
Everybody loves Nietzsche. I do. Philosophy in the Hellenistic and Roman Worlds, A History of Philosophy Without Any Gaps, Volume 2. So this is a follow-up. The Quadrivium, The Four Classical Liberal Arts of Number, Geometry, Music, and Cosmology. By Miranda Lundy, Anthony Ashton, Jason Martineau, and one more. So the Quadrivium... Kind of like the Trivium, right? But not quite. Well, it's like the sequel. It's a sequel to the Trivium. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and here's a funny thing. Okay. So, or I don't know. What what did you have to say, Stephanie? I'm sorry. No, I'm just, I've heard of it from you, like when we talked about the Trivium, but. Yeah. 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 So here's the thing is that, you know, in certain circles, this concept of the Trivium, which is grammar. Grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Yes. Yeah. Grammar, rhetoric, and logic. And. There's a lot of people that like say, oh, this is how you get to the truth and all that. And they're really big on the trivium. That's right. Um, The funny thing is, is that if you go around telling people about the trivium, like what people in our circles, I guess you could say, identify as the trivium is no Google search is going to find that for you. Like the trivium is the complete and the quadrivium are, are, you know, while we're talking about Catholics. Catholic. It's very Catholic Catholic creations. Yeah. I mean, they're... You know, these are as 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 bound to religion as much as as anything else can be. Uh, Now, there's like it's funny how that happened, isn't it? Because it's a bunch of non-religious people who are advocating them. Right. Yeah. So there's this like modern idea of the trivium, which I'm not going to say it's like wholly different. I mean, obviously it's related, uh, but. You know, just be careful when you go and talk about these subjects, because if somebody just hears the word trivium and then they go and search for it themselves, um, they're going to run into like Sister Miriam Joseph's work. Yeah. And and some books that aren't exactly the best thing on the planet. But, hey, that doesn't mean that there's not something interesting to take away from it. And good luck in your uh, research of the quadrivium. (laughs) Well, I want to read more about this. So here's a description. Um, It's a bestseller in geometry and topology. The quadrivium, the classical curriculum, comprises the four liberal arts of number, geometry, music, and cosmology. It was studied from antiquity to the Renaissance as a way of glimpsing the nature of reality. Geometry is number in space, music is number in time, and cosmology expresses the number in space and time. Number, music, and geometry are metaphysical truths. Life across the universe investigates them, and they foreshadow the physical sciences. Wow. Um... I'm going to need to consolidate that before I understand what they're talking about. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, very interesting. I'd love to know who bought that. Uh, we also had Sciencia, Mathematics, Physics, Chemistry, oh, this, uh, Biology, and Astronomy for All. No, oh, it doesn't look like I was thinking like of Principia. It. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, it's by Matt Tweed, Matthew Watkins, Moff Betts, and Burke and Polster. Burkard Polster and Gerard Cheshire. All right. Um, <laughs> the Basics of Permaculture Design. That looks like an interesting book. There we go. Published Love permaculture. in 2005 by Ross Mars, Martin Ducker, and David Holmgren. Basics of Permaculture Design, first published in Australia in 1996, is an excellent introduction to the principles of permaculture, design processes, and the tools needed for designing sustainable gardens, farms, and larger communities. 20 bucks get you that book new. You can get it used for five bucks. The Permaculture Transition Manual, A Comprehensive Guide to Resilient Living, by the same authors, or one of the same authors anyway, um, caught between climate change and a fueled, fossil fuel-driven economy that demands ever more growth, the world faces a great transition, by design or disaster, away from fossil fuels to a less energy-intensive future. But what proven tools are available to aid in making a successful, deliberate transition to a resilient, sustainable future? 
For the first time, the power of permaculture design has been brought to bear on the great transition problem. In the process, acclaimed permaculture teacher and designer Ross Mars has distilled his considerable knowledge into the ultimate resource for resilient living. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who's doing a permaculture challenge, which um, was proffered by a person who had a big plot of land, subdivided the land, said, here, you take a one-acre plot, build a house on it, accumulate enough food to get through the winter, oh, yeah. and if you can do it, you can keep the land forever. So my friend is doing it, and by all indications, he's going to win. He's Fantastic. He's doing it. Well, I mean, there's more than one winner possible, obviously, but I think he's going to be able to stay there. So very yeah, cool. Yeah, and it raises the value of the land. So, like, I mean, there's, there's all the incentives for people to hold these kind of contests. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's not like... Shit, if I had a bunch of land, I'd do that. You're right, yeah. <laughs> hey, come on, live on my land. Yeah. Build stuff. The Sickness Unto Death by Soren Kierkegaard. Ooh, somebody's getting real deep in the philosophy lately. Yeah. An unabridged edition to include, oh, whatever. That's This is just like the chapter list. That's boring. Uh, the Trivium, The Liberal Arts of Logic, Grammar, and Rhetoric by Sister Miriam Joseph oh, and gee. Marguerite McGlynn. Look at that. <laughs> I've read that book. Who sets language policy today? Who made whom the grammar doctor? Lacking in the equivalent of l'Académie Francoise, we English speakers must find our own way looking for guidance or vindication in source after source. McGuffey's readers introduced 19th century students to correct, correct, in quotes, English. Strunk and White's Elements of Style and William Sapphire's column on language provide help on diction and syntax to contemporary writers and speakers. Sister Miriam Joseph's book, The Trivium, The Liberal Arts of Logic, Grammar, and Rhetoric, invites the reader into a deeper understanding, one that includes rules, definitions, and guidelines, but whose ultimate end is to transform the reader into a liberal artist. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a lot of the people who advocate that wouldn't want to be transformed into a liberal anything, but maybe they're <laughs> maybe they're thinking in the classical liberal sense. Oh, and and speaking of liberal, to end to end off our our book section, we had drum roll, please. The Communist Manifesto. Whoa! By Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. Oh my. Featuring an extensive provocative introduction by historian Martin Malia, this authorized English translation of the Communist Manifesto, edited and annotated by Engels, with prefaces to editions published between 1872 and 1888, provides a new opportunity to examine the document that shook the world. Man. Have you read the Communist Manifesto? Oh, absolutely. I've read Das Kapital. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of tried to read both of those books in college, and it's been a while. It's been over 10 years. Um, so I don't retain much, honestly. And the, like that writing style just bores me. I'm sorry. I do it with, with Mises books, too. Like it's anything that's written more than 50 years ago. It's like very hard to read. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, here's here's the thing is that Marx was look. I mean, people can hate communism all they want. That's mm -hmm. fine. But he was brilliant. Like, I, I mean, they're like his shit's really dense. You know, I mean, there's, <laughs> it's there's dense. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's I mean, true. there's granted there's a lot of straw men. You know, there's a lot. Of, there's mm -hmm. a lot of shit. But he, well, there's, there's a reason it persists through time. Right. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. Because there. I mean, honestly, look, there's some truths in what he says, you know, and uh, I mean. Yeah, I'm just saying. I like, think there's there's nobody that's perfect, right? Like, there's nope. there's no perfect philosopher that you agree with 100 percent of the time. Right. There's oh there's always something you can take from every every book, every written thing, 
whether it's even just a small thing. And there's something you can take and just put it in your back pocket and carry with you. And then the rest you don't like, you leave, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm just saying that Marx has, uh, depending on what circle you're in, you know, I think has a very, like, unjustified mm-hmm. um, reputation mm-hmm. that... For sure, yeah. Like, I mean, I've heard a lot of uh, libertarians or even just right-wingers um, kind of, not to associate those two together, but yeah. um, <laughs> I've heard a lot of people who who would not be finding themselves in agreement with Marx's ideas criticizing Marx, but without actually having read yep. it. So, I mean, if if you're going to critique something, it's good to read it. Well, and I'm going to say this, okay? I mean, look, I'm not a fan of Marx. I'm just going to say this, that if you're going to say... How can you say that 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 Marx was like a brilliant guy or something like this or that that he has an undue reputation mm-hmm. when his works led to the deaths of 50 million or, you know, however many millions of people? Mm. Well, I'll, I'll turn that right on its head. And, you know, how many how many deaths, how many millions of people is, you know, America, you know, kind of on the hook for or going to be on the hook Ooh, for? Yeah. That, you know, as, as far as deaths go, it's like, look. And that wasn't from following any particular philosophy. And it's always like with philosophers, people blame them for stuff. But it's really like it's the people who listened to them and carried it out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean. Like I, Lenin, right? Yeah. Stalin. Yeah. I mean, now. Yep. Yeah, all, you know, it, it's 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 a tangled web. But just understand yeah. that like really, like I definitely recommend reading Marx before you go talking shit, you know, Uh it's i mean there's a lot to read and it's a lot if you have the luxury of reading it i mean right right. like there's lots of people in cuba who don't even have books right (laughs) like who are affected by by communism negatively and they're like impoverished by it sure sure i mean the irony of that right we can sit here and read marx and think about it right yeah i mean and and when you go through the three volumes of das kapital i mean you're going to find contradictions because they were written over you know like it's all from pieces of really a a, a, kind of a longer span of time and he changed his mind often Mm -hmm. you know uh so of course there's going to be contradictions Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because people grow yeah uh but um yeah i i'm just saying like like don't write it off so quickly. I, I think there's some really interesting nuggets, you know, to take away from, from mm. uh, Marx's writings. Mm. That's it. That's my that's my whole spiel. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, that's probably what the person wanted from buying it through our link. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wonder if it's a college class that they that they were taking because there's a lot of philosophy books in there. Right. Anyway, um, in the electronics department, we had a Type C uh, USB C uh, cable charging cable for uh, $12.99. We had a Mohu Leaf 30-inch TV antenna indoor, which has a 30-mile range. It's paper-thin, reversible, paintable, and 4K-ready. So it's 30 bucks, and you got a TV antenna. No longer is it rabbit ears. It's like a beautiful leaf. Yeah. Uh, One-for-all <laughs> remote control, universal remote for $6. That's pretty good. Uh, the Powerex MHR 84-volt pa- uh, battery, one pack... So, so it's like a basically a nine volt uh, rechargeable battery. Very cool. Um, in the in the cooking department, we had Lorian oils, gourmet super strength flavor oils, fruit flavors. So these are very popular for people who want to make like flavored chocolate or like protein bars, or even maybe like soaps and fragrances. Like that might be the glycerin might be going in with these. Hmm. Um, and they have all kinds of uh, different flavors. They have got. Cherry, coconut, green apple, lemonade, orange cream, peach, watermelon, 
pomegranate, just to name a few, pineapple. Um, oh, and then another pack, same thing. Um, apple, bubblegum, cherry, cotton candy, grape, marshmallow, peanut. Wow. Uh, organic India Tulsi caffeine-free tea, sweet rose. So this is an organic tea from India, it appears, and it's a rose tea. Caffeine and gluten-free for $6. I I like rose tea, but I usually like it blended with like oolong or something, mm. some something with caffeine, because that's the real thing that I'm addicted yeah, to. Otherwise, uh. what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> Skechers Sport Women's Delights Memory Foam Lace-Up Sneakers. Ooh, that'd be nice to have that memory foam in your shoes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, the, this was the pink color. The price point was between $33 and $120, so don't know where that fell in there. Propylene glycol, food grade. Propylene glycol. Uh, now, I'm trying to remember my chemistry. How is that different from glycerin? Um, uses antifreeze solutions. Yeah, there we go. Solvent for fats, oils, waxes, and resins. Oh, yeah. So somebody, I bet you somebody's making soap or candles or something like that. They're using those flavoring oils and the glycerin and the propylene glycol, and it's all going to mix together in a delicious smelling um, soap bomb. I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Um, Beataholic three by four inch uh, resealable zipper bags. So these are the tiny Ziploc bags that people put beads or drugs in. Oh, and actually, handy. you know, I remember in the t- in the early two thousands. These bags were banned in some places because they people were saying they're bagging drugs in them. They're putting weed in it or what are other kinds of drugs. But <laughs> little really, Johnny, can I borrow some of your bead bags? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but no, they're really good for like little items like that. And they're good for like, you know, if you have to take vitamins or pills or something, if you're going on vacation, you take it in there. Hmm. Or, you know, like anything. I mean, anything small. Or, you know, just covering something up, like covering up the end of a cucumber. So I've used them for that. Um, my life is not that exciting. I don't do any drugs. So I just have to put vitamins and cucumbers in those little bags. Um, what are you doing covering the end of a cucumber? <laughs> well, like if I don't eat the whole thing. Oh, oh, I see. Were you insinuating something about a cucumber? I would never. Yes, uh, you would never. Um <laughs> What is this, health class? <laughs> right. Um, cotton shower curtain, seven ounces duck fabric made in the USA by Bean Products. And it's a 40 fucking dollar sh- shower curtain. Ooh. That's what you get made in the USA. But it High looks class. like a good heavy duty one. Like there's no need for a plastic liner. Oh, that's good, actually. So, OK, that that kind of does make sense because, you know, usually you put a plastic thing inside the shower curtain. But this is just like a heavy canvas kind of curtain. And it must be treated with something because you don't have to use a liner. That's nice. pretty good. Honeywell Millivolt Gas Valve LP to light the bomb made with the glycerin. Wow. <laughs> sorry. Holy shit. I'm sorry. We're I really in trouble. We're going to be on some kind of list. Yep. I really shouldn't be saying this stuff. Um, please do not try that at home. <laughs> please do not take us seriously. Please do not take us seriously either. Interdesigned T-bar shower curtain hooks. Set of 12. Chrome. Okay. That's cool. So to hang up the shower curtain. Zena Home Never Rust Aluminum Permanent Mount Shower Rod. Okay, somebody's setting up a shower. Good All to right. know. Good to know. Or at least I assume they are. Maybe they could be setting up like a BDSM dungeon or something. Wow, what's on your your mind? <laughs> well, I have been working on that book over this week. It's quite the book. 
<laughs> um, in the industrial department. Um, now we're getting into the BDSM. Oh, yeah. We had four red on and off switches. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. Four pack for six bucks. Those are cool. Like you could just, you know, put one out on your kitchen table and be like, here, you could end the state. All you have to do is flip <laughs> this. Parts, but... Yeah. <laughs> and then they press, they push it and nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> Except you judge them. I, I won't say it. Never mind. It. <laughs> okay. Um, a Polaris submersible pedestal connector. This looks like a pipe that you would have in a toilet or something like that. Rab lighting landscaped bell-shaped H-system floodlight. 27 bucks. Very cool. Rab lighting system visor. Aluminum. 19 bucks. Skytech remote fireplace control. Oh, you know, we had some fireplace parts that were purchased in the past couple months. I wonder if they're completing the look with floodlights, a shower curtain, an on-off switch, and a remote. <laughs> it's all coming together. Man, someone's going to be having a good time. <laughs> That's all I can think. <laughs> Let me hit the fire for you, baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me get the fire and touch that red switch for me, baby. Oh, yeah. Might be for the electrified uh, nipple clamps, though. <laughs> We had a silicone group gasket, which could be for your toilet, or it could be doubling as a cock ring. I don't know. Sunlight comfort tire, uh, bike bicycle tire, it looks like, 12 bucks. All right. Womb bikes, USA balance bike, looks like a kid's bike. Get on um, your bikes and ride. Yeah, ages 18 months to four years. 18 months? So the kid can barely walk and it's already riding a bike, a two-wheeler, nonetheless, with you no training You start them wheels. early, god damn it. I guess so. $192. It's a high-quality, lightweight, and durable aluminum nice. tubes. Fluke Electrician's True RMS Multimeter. That's cool. Does yeah. not include a holster, though. It's 150 bucks. You better take care of that thing. Um, features True RMS for accurate measurements on nonlinear loads. Nonlinear loads. You want to give me a nonlinear load later tonight? Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Milwaukee uh, M12 fuel half hammer drill tool only, sixty seven bucks. Um, it looks just like a drill, but is it a gas powered drill or something? I don't know. Half hammer drill. Um, sometimes people don't use drills for drills; they use them for like turning things. Yep. You know, like turning a polisher or something like that. Yeah, a little know. Dremel. Um, Milwaukee red lithium extended capability battery pack. That must be for the drill. Rigid model 118 close quarter tubing cutter. Oh, maybe they're cutting the bike in half. Now this is something I've never seen before. I have to give them credit and I might actually want to try this. I don't know if it's okay to flush, but this is bamboo toilet paper. Bamboo bath tissue by Kaboo. 100% tree-free toilet paper, organic bamboo and sugarcane pulp, two-ply, unscented, BPA, chlorine-free, 100% sustainable, 300 sheets per roll, 32 double rolls, and it's 22 bucks. Kaboo. I, I think I'm going to have to try this. I think I'm going to add this to my cart right now. All right. I'm trying the Kaboo. Kaboo. I'll report back and let you know how soft it is. Isomatic IOMQ water filter. Kaboo. Kaboo. Uh-huh. You're still stuck on the kaboo. I understand. I really do. Um, it's late night. We're almost done. Uh, Philips 90-watt bright white bulb pack for 40 bucks because, you know, incandescent lights are a rare commodity now. I'll say. And finally, our last item, 
in the games department, the Agricola game. Um, for one to four players, amazing th- replay value, 30 minutes playing time per player. <laughs> what the hell is that? Um, I'm trying to find out. Okay, Agricola features improved all-wood components in a card section from base game, as well as expansion packs revised and updated for this edition. Guide your family to wealth, health, and prosperity, and you will win the game. Players begin the game with two family members. and oh, that's the lie they tell their... you in life. <laughs> this is like the game Life. Remember that the... game where you have like a pink and a blue and a little car? Read, Marks. It's all a sham. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Players begin the game with two family members and can grow the family over the course of the game. This allows them more actions. But remember, you have to grow more food to feed your family as it grows. Feeding your family is a special kind of challenge, and players will plant grain and vegetables while supplementing their food supply with sheep, wild boar, and cattle. Well, that sounds kind of fun. I mean, Look, you had me at wild boar. If the game I'm says for the boar only. <laughs> If the game says you got to start a family, the game's rigged. It's fucking rigged. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. You want to talk about wealth and prosperity and happiness? <laughs> Sorry. I'm not going to go there. Yeah, it is. Um, somebody also got an Audible free trial. Actually, two people did. So Nice. Yay, good Hell job. Yeah. Woohoo. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Woo. Do your shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and be on our after show. We would love to have you. And uh, if you have comments or questions, relationship questions, show prep, send us an email through uh, our contact form at sexandsciencehour.com or just show at sexandsciencehour.com goes to both of us as well. Yeah. And thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Woo.